Okay. Hello, this is Janet Gallen, Love Letters Live. Today's guest is someone you may well know about from a variety of things that he does. And I'm going to go right to you, Donnie Demers. And Demers, I said it wrong after all that. Yes. Anyway, Donnie Demers. You you got it right the first time. That's what matters. (laughs) Thank you. But it was off air, so it didn't matter, I guess. Pardon me? It was off air, so... you know, the guests didn't get to hear it. <laughs> well, they're going to hear us now. And let's start with you. And if you would talk about yourself, and I know that your your professional life is complicated because you do so much. And would you say that you are primarily a composer? Actually, believe it or not, I'm primarily a lyricist. I call myself primarily a composer because that's how I think about myself. But, you know, my I've been more successful with with being a lyricist. In fact, my first platinum album record is from uh, being a lyricist. Okay, I wanted to know about that platinum album. Can you talk about that album? What what part did you play and what were the songs? Well, I co-wrote a song called uh, uh, Broken Heart by an artist named Amir. Mm -hmm. And he's a a big artist in, in France. And um, he was just coming out with his debut uh, label record, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. And um, they were looking for a, a, a translation for a lyric. And a friend of mine over in France had recommended me. And w- when we worked together, I told them that, you know, I, I could all, that I wrote, wrote lyrics and stuff like that. And so, they put me in touch with uh, another co-writer there, and uh, and we wrote this song um, for Amir, and um, and it and the album just took off. It went multi-platinum, and uh, he in just blew up. Or... What's that? Here and in France? No, it's here also, but it blew up in France only. Yeah, uh-huh. so which is a diff- a whole different package of of success than it, than it is over here. I see. Okay. But nonetheless, it was. And, you know, for years and years, I've been in the music business and I had never received a gold, a platinum, a gold, a platinum or gold or platinum record. Mm-hmm. And uh, there it was at nearly towards the end of my career. And um, there it was. So it just goes to show you, it never does. give up hope. Never, ever, ever give up at all. That is such an important message. I want to let's talk about you. You just said towards the end of your career. I mean, you look like a very young man, so I don't know what that means. But oh, um, well, <laughs> go ahead. I'll let you continue before I elaborate. Okay. Well, that's the point. I want you to elaborate. So I under I read somewhere that your first entry into, you know, performance was that you were a poster boy for something very important. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Well, I was born with muscular dystrophy mm-hmm. and my mom was the president of our local chapter of muscular dystrophy association. Before you were born even? No, no. Right oh, after I, I, okay. I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was around two years old. Uh-huh. So she really got involved uh, with the organization uh, probably when I was around three. Uh-huh. So um, when it came time to um, choose the Massachusetts state they call it poster child back then, but that's politically not correct now. So now they call it youth ambassador. Okay. <laughs> so I personally like poster child, but that's me. Anyway, 
I do too. And so I was I was a four year old poster child, uh-huh. and um, and so that sort of introduced me to being around um, audiences and public because I was pretty much at all the events and oh that's what i want to ask you about did you have particular duties as this youth ambassador slash poster you know what just kind of like photo ops just showing up for that and with my mom and for local events with uh, local celebrities and things like that Mm -hmm. and um and uh so my aunt who was a singer she performed at a at a gala that they had done at um our our local auditorium and she brought me up and we sang a song called um, I'm a Little Teapot. Oh, I, know. I remember that very well. Short and stout. Here's my hand. Here's my spouse. Yes. And, and exactly. And um, <laughs> and I really, uh, I, I, the audience went crazy. I can remember it to this day. Really? The audience went crazy. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that, you know? So, I, you know, I as it was, I, w- I was born with uh, musical abilities. So. You I immediately was a singer. So yes, when did you realize you had those abilities? And I have a question about a four-year-old being applauded like that. You said you liked it. What did you know you were getting at that moment? Um, the just the the joy of of watching people respond positively mm-hmm. to something. I mean, you know, you're four years old, so you don't really understand a whole lot. You just know that people like you. You know. And it's sort of that adulation that, you know, I don't think anyone who is uh, in, in uh, let's say, the limelight doesn't actually love that feeling. And that's why you keep going back. You know, it's immediate gratification. But did you know as a child that you were delivering an important message? No, I, I don't think I really did. You know, I was just a, I was just a child, you know. Yeah. I didn't realize the magnitude of what goes into you know, um, getting that message across so that you can earn those dollars to keep going and, and help uh, fund programs and pay for wheelchairs and things like that, you know. Oh, talk about that. So what what were you able to, when you say pay for wheelchairs, how does that work? Well, muscular dystrophy has always um, supported the the people, their family, they call it. And, you know, when wheelchairs were needed, they paid for it. So Whether it was power people, wheelchairs, and that was that came from people's contributions. So when people ask about the association, yeah. So when people ask about the Jerry Lewis telephone, do you remember that? I certainly do. And you know, there were the naysayers are like, "Where does that money go?" But well, that's where it went. It went into it went into um, medical studies, but it also uh, it went to the actual patients nice. or the the you know, the people who needed the wheelchairs and all mm-hmm. the medical things, it would, you never had to pay for it. MDA always paid for it. How so, nice to know that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was back in the day, you know, all, everything has changed now. They don't in, even what, have, in what way? Well, of course, Jerry's passed away, but even prior to his death, they had changed the whole format and got rid of the telethon, which was an institution in and of itself. I know that. Yes, I you remember know? that. Mm-hmm. Labor Day was essentially the Jerry Lewis telephone. So why did they put an end to it? And who put the end to it? A new turnaround of uh, people that got involved with MDA, a younger, you know, a group of uh, corporates that uh, just didn't see where it fit into today's sort of, you know, market, if you will. What do you think? And the cost. 
I, you know, I thought it was sad because, well, along with anyone who, who grew up with it, yeah, because it was it was literally the end of an era. You know, that yeah, weekend I mean, that was, was yeah, it was, was always been trying to stay awake for twenty one and a half hours. You know, and it was always a very joyous thing to see people on the television. Yes, it was. It was, and you know, it gave you that uh, that feeling that you were helping people while you were being entertained. And right. later on, cut to like twenty years or so. I ended up performing on the Jerry Lewis telephone with Jerry mm-hmm. and uh, doing my thing, playing my music with the orchestra. And that was, uh, that was really my, my, my introduction to everything, you know, that I have gone through since then. That was really, cause we got like a three minute standing ovation for a song that I wrote. And that was really, I think the, the bite that I got that I was like, you know what, this is even better than I thought. So uh, let me ask you something going back, if we may, just another minute. So growing, you were four years old and there you were with, and then what was, what was your childhood life like friendships and school and I grew up with this talent. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I was known as the, you know, like the the piano kid in elementary school, I would play in the plays and things like that. Uh Uh-huh. But I was raised just like uh, my other siblings. I had three other brothers and a sister. Oh. And, um, you know, the doctor, apparently my mom said when the doctor diagnosed me, her question immediately was, what can I do for my son? Uh-huh. The doctor said, the best thing you can do for your son is to treat your son just like your other children. You know, don't coddle him. Don't do anything special other than his immediate needs. Mm-hmm. but to treat treat him just like you do the other. And my mother literally did that, you know, right up until she, the day she died. Oh, I was yeah. just another. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was the day that, um, that was probably the hardest thing that I've ever been through in my oh, life. Oh gosh. How old were you when she died? Um, well, it was 2006. So I was like 46. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was 46. So, um, you know, at that time, I it's funny what happens to you when somebody dies that is so close to you, especially as close as if you're, I was like my mom was the center of my universe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was she was my everything, really. And when that in fact, it's funny, I'm looking at a, um, a screenshot of her right now that just came on. She's talking to us. Yes. Yes. Um, I believe that. So I, I, um, I've experienced a very strange thing that happens, I think, with some people. I knew in that moment, after I had overcome all the, the devastating feelings that you have when someone mm-hmm. dies, mm-hmm. that from then on, nothing would ever be that painful to me. So it was almost like, well, you've now experienced you know, the worst that can happen. So if that eases you towards any loss in the future and all losses will be great, they won't be felt like that. So that's sort of how I got through all that, knowing that that was the worst. And I always said, if there's anything that you like about me, thank my mother. Oh, how nice. Well, you know, she, she lives within me. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. It sounds like she, you know, the way you feel about 
having been protected from feeling the pain from other, it sounded like she was in her way protecting you against other pain. In her way, she was. Okay. In fact, her, her last words to me, I, I, I was, you know, probably in my weakest, and I begged her not to die, and she said, oh. uh, and she said, um, she said, don't worry, this is just a hill, and we're going to get over it. Uh-huh. And I just, I believed her, you know, because yeah. she was a strong woman. My mother was a very strong woman. But she was beloved. She was like, everybody loved my mother. She uh -oh. was that person. How wonderful you know, to be able to know there that. But for the, there but for the grace of God go I was her motto, you know. Yes, yes. Now, so, were, uh, were your siblings were your siblings affected in the same way by her death? Well, I think a, I was a little more because, you know, yeah. I was um, a little, I was literally different than everybody else, you know, and I think even though she didn't really show it, I think she did protect, try to protect me a little more. To the end? So you, yeah. You feel that. You feel that, whether it's said or not, you know, it's something that you just feel. So, I mean, yeah. And everyone in my family knew it, you know. Yes. But let me but, ask you something about your, your work life and your, <clears throat> your, um, yes, your, performing life mm -hmm. what what was the most would you say like the most memorable thing that ever happened to you ah there have been lots but um let's let's have some of them because i read about some of the people who's who have performed your works and some of the people you've written for so you said yeah. well you know it's been uh it's been several decades of just acquiring moments that have uh competed with each other you know mm-hmm I would say one that stands out is performing in front of 65,000 people in China. Really? You know, where we, we were literally like that on the stage. So you've traveled and, all over. Oh yeah. We've traveled. My brother and I, who is my, uh, my was, you know, my singing partner. Is that right? We have, we have uh, pretty much done every charity there is mm -hmm. around the world, you know, and um, that's, that's been a gratifying experience as well. And um, along the way, we've met lots and lots of great people, celebrities who have become our friends, and mm -hmm. you know, incredible human beings changing the lives of, of, of everyone on the planet. And uh, it's been a, <clears throat> it's been a wild ride. It really has. And, um, you know, growing up in Worcester, Massachusetts, you you don't really uh, think that your life is going to be that explosive, you know, until you remove yourself from that sort of bubble. How, how do you and mean? Then, well, I mean, so once you leave the area that you grew up, where mm -hmm. everything is sort of, uh, you know, it's within your immediate circle and mm -hmm. nothing really looks large. It's just sort of you're in it. Mm -hmm. Then you step outside of that, which I did um, when I graduated from high school. I went to the University of Arizona, mm -hmm. you know, which was clear across the country. And I didn't know anybody. What, what made you choose that for college? Uh, a friend of mine was doing his master's there. Uh -huh. A junior year, I went out to visit him at the university. He was also in a wheelchair. He also had muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. And I just loved the campus. I loved nice. the freedom of being out there it was extremely accessible so i that was one of the colleges i applied to mm -hmm. and i got accepted so i moved there 
and I, um, as was going to be a special ed teacher, that was my goal. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up getting totally involved in the music department. So I kind of switched my major and uh, they had an incredible recording studio there, state of the art. And I found myself recording a lot of my songs and meeting musicians. And I ended up making an album there with uh, Fultwood that was fully orchestrated well. that my dad financed because, you know, he was a, is a big supporter of mine. Nice. And, um, and then I got the word that I was um, going to be a guest on the Jerry Lewis telethon. Mm-hmm. So they actually interviewed David Hartman from good morning America did a whole piece on me in New York. And uh, they feature that along with my live performance on the Jerry Lewis telephone that first year in 1982. So how did you get selected to be on the Jerry Lewis telephone? You must have known already. I'm sorry, what was that question? How did you get selected to be on the Jerry Lewis telephone? Very easily. When I was doing my album, I was submitting all these uh, areas where it might be able to get some, you know, attention. And I sent it to headquarters at MDA. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, and, and then that's how it all happened. And um, so at that point, uh, things started to locally started to happen too. You know, I was, I was getting interviews on, on uh, local programs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so after that first performance, I brought, it was, it was wild. I brought a conductor, three background singers. It was crazy. That whole experience. And um, you can, you can, that's on YouTube, that performance. Oh, I was going to ask that. So if people just put in your name. Into, With into Jerry Lewis telephone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to do that. Myself. That was a wild ride, Janet. I have to tell you, because, you know, you realize after that, that just went out to millions of people worldwide. And the reception that we got was so overwhelming. I, I mean, Jerry Lewis walked over to me, which was unscheduled. We were supposed to do our thing and then go off and somebody else was going to come on or they were going to do a quote board total. But it was so overwhelming. It caught everyone off guard. So he came over and he started asking me questions. And I was like, I was in a daze. And um, so that was the start of all of that. What kind of questions was he asking you? He was asking me, how, how does it feel to to um, hear an audience react to your the kind oh. of music that you write mm-hmm. and um, that he knows how difficult it is to uh, get a song that no one's ever heard of before mm-hmm. to, to have that kind of a response. And he said that he knew that it wasn't because I was in a wheelchair. It was because of the song that I wrote. Sure. And he, you know, and, um, and I was sort of just, the only reason why I know all this is because I, I, I've been, you know, I've seen the video ad nauseum times, but, <laughs> and in that moment, it was sort of like, wah, 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 wah. you know, you just sort of, uh-huh. sort of, it's all in a daze. Cause you know, I was, oh, I was 20 years old, you know? Yes. So that was, was a long time ago. I have a question about that because times have changed so drastically in yeah. performance and what you can. So you had to kind of follow some kind of a process to get yourself seen, right? Yeah, well. In those days. But now, how have things changed with social media and 
you know, the, the whole world of getting in touch with a gajillion people with one flick of a button? That's a good question. It, it is literally a completely different uh, industry than it was back in the day when I was pursuing it. Completely. Easier, easier to manipulate and to maneuver? Easier and, and more difficult. So both. I, I could see, say how it's more difficult because I have some yeah. thoughts about that too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you can become uh, an overnight sensation with a YouTube video. Right. Virtually you go from unknown to, you know, mega popular. Yes. Um, obviously, we didn't have that format back in the 80s. So that was not even possible. You relied on record labels. Yes. And that was near to impossible to get a, a, a deal on a label. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, you had all of the elements that the, the they were looking for, which, you know, was rare. But nonetheless, it did happen. But now it's uh, it's easier and it's more difficult because there's so much. It's 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 like an overabundance of talent now. Uh huh. So or at least competition, even if. But there is an yeah. enormous amount of talent in music, isn't there? Well, this is the thing. Like you now can have semi-talent yes. combined with mega-talent, but it can lessen the mega-talent's ability to get out there because the lesser talent has things that the real talent can compete with. If, if it, even if it's something simple like looks. Uh-huh. You know, back in the day, you could have someone in their 50s make a, a, a name for themselves, become a huge sensation. Yes. Now that's virtually impossible. Oh, unless because people demand a certain look? Well, the, I think the whole, the whole medium has changed in and of itself. Well, unless there's a television show attached to it. You know, then like you see America's Got Talent or American Idol or those, well, more so America's Got sure. Talent. They feature these artists that wouldn't necessarily break through or the voice. Right. But but um, they get uh, they get exposure because of these giant TV shows. So that's another way you can make it now, and which it wasn't so much back in the day. So now, it's easy. Do you think people who make it through this, you know, new portals last as long as what you call the real talent? No, because if you think about it, there's no real big stars anymore. You know, like, okay. can you, can we even think of in the past, you know, back in the day, new stars would emerge every, every year, basically. Like, who do you consider a new star of back in the day? I mean, it would be like Olivia Newton-John makes it overnight, you know, with one song or, you know, whomever, like uh, Cyndi Lauper or right. Madonna. But then Madonna we, have Taylor, we have Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is a phenomenon, and I, I think she's amazing. Isn't that? Because she's young. Yeah. She's smart. She's got the talent. She's got the goods. And she's talking to somebody. And yeah, I mean, she's speaking to a lot of people. And there is that you know, group of people out there that are not necessarily always heard mm -hmm. by the type of music that they like. And, you know, along with Lady Gaga, they're oh, very yeah. similar yes. in what how they treat say, their I fans. Mean, right. And they're talented. They're gifted. Yes. You know, whereas you look at a lot of, uh, not a lot, but, you know, you see a lot of the uh, current um, sensations are video-driven or... Yeah. They have these, uh, you know, different sounds attached to their voices and 
but I, you know. I, I have learned. I have. I just wonder how you feel about this. So I hear, you know, you hear names for a long time, Beyonce and Lady Gaga. And I pay not much attention because I, I don't know what I figure. And then I realized one day, well, they can't be this insanely popular unless they've got something, unless they're speaking to. And the first time I ever saw Beyonce was in that movie. I didn't know who she was. Yeah. And I was just, oh my goodness, I was just blown away by the, not just the talent, but the diligence. Well, this is the thing, you know, I mean, you really do have to be diligent. You have uh -huh. to be, uh, uh, you have to be work driven. You have to, there's so much of, there's so much work involved. I can see you, that. It's, it's not for someone who's even the slightest bit uh, lazy. Yes. You have to be on top of your game at all times. You have to want it more than anything. Uh-huh. I, I think I'm that, say that's, this. that's a difference, isn't it? Because sometimes yeah. you see people who are as talented as the most. I, I've seen people, you know, in my own life and sphere, singing and composing, who are as talented, if not more so, than what has reached the top. You know, they don't have the drive. Yeah, exactly. They don't, have, they don't have the willingness to sacrifice what they have to sacrifice. Yeah. And that's okay though. That's all right. They're still Absolutely. They're they're making um they're still making whatever it is they do and and someone like yourself is responding to it. Oh yeah. I always say if there's one life that you've changed or touched, you know, your work is being accomplished. Okay, so now I want to get into a perfect segue because, you know, I'm largely about the power of letters and touching mm -hmm. a life. And yeah. were you ever a letter writer? You know, I was. Uh, well, it's funny you should say that because I had several pen pals when I was little. I was, you know, okay, I, I wrote yeah. across, across uh, different parts of the world, like Australia and, and Japan. Uh -huh. Did you ever meet them um, in person? Yeah, I've met a couple of them. Yeah, actually. But that was through my affiliation and my love for Karen Carpenter, which anyone who knows me knows that um, Karen and Richard the Carpenters were sort of the real reason why I wanted to get into music. You know, my literally my goal as a young person was to write a song for Karen Carpenter. Oh, that is so nice that, yes, that you had that. And unfortunately she passed away before I was even really old enough to do that, you know, but um, to me, she had the greatest uh, vocal of any, any Kirchland that I've ever heard female or otherwise. Okay. I'm going to go re-listen to some of that. Yes. I am with that behind me. It's do, a do flawless have, connection. What's that? Well, no, do I'm you know say... people have written to you? Yes. So I knew you were going to ask this question. So I did pull one up. Uh -huh. So I've always been um, grateful for educators yes. because they changed my life. And I had very incredible, wonderful teachers in high school and elementary school. And they, um, they were really, really super important for the person that I am today. Mm -hmm. And I really think that educators don't get enough credit. Oh, or enough. I agree they, with that. Have you, have you written to any of them? Oh my gosh. Have I written? I've gone back and visited with them. No, but I'm talking about actual, a letter that they can pull out whenever they're feeling a little down in the dumps and look at again and again and again. 
Absolutely, because I I know that that's important. That was important. Now they've all deceased now, all of them yes. actually. Yes. But I kept writing back and forth to a few of them. Nice. And one of my teachers was my geometry teacher, and I wasn't great in math, and um, she knew that I was struggled, uh-huh. so. She took extra time after class. She actually gave me the power to not just deal with math, but to actually like what I was learning. How nice. Yes. And did um, you have children? She did have children. Yes. Yeah. You know where they are? This is dead. And um, I kept, I I wrote to her until she died. She was 94 years old, I think. And so I'm sure her children have those letters still. And her her daughter contacted me. uh, Yes, because I was literally, I'd gotten a letter just maybe uh, a month before she died. But I want to share with you, I want to share with you just a brief letter that she wrote to me. And I posted it on my Facebook page and people just, they love it, but it just goes to show you now, this is a woman who she believed in me. And yeah. I'll never forget on my, she from for graduation, she gave me a thesaurus and inside it, she wrote, never forget that you are a light in a, in a sometimes darkened corner. Oh, good. And you know that. Okay. And if- I was like, wow, that is so powerful. Have you ever written to your mother since she's been gone? No, I haven't done, but I talk to her all the time. Oh, so. good. Okay. okay. Oh, <laughs> I want to thank you for doing this with me. Yes. I, I just love knowing about you, and I'm going to go to YouTube and find performances of yours, and I'm going to go listen to Karen Carpenter again. Thank you. Fantastic. Definitely. I encourage anyone who doesn't know Karen Carpenter to listen to that voice. Okay. So, it's so nice to hear a different point of view. You know, I've never heard anybody talk about Karen Carpenter before. Wow. I'm surprised. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, if you know, if ever in life something comes up in your life that you would like to share on Love Letters Live, let me yes. know and come back sure. for chat. Thank you very much, Janet. Thank you, dear. Wonderful. Bye. That went fast. I know it did. That's the problem. <laughs> all right. too, yes, it all goes too fast. All right, we'll capture it again, maybe. Bye bye. See you later. Yes.